Hello, Brain Allies. You're listening to Brains Out Loud, where we talk about important topics surrounding mental health, from our personal life to our work life and everywhere in between. Our goal is that through these conversations, we can help others prioritize mental health on an equivalent level to physical health. This is your co-host, Juliette, speaking, and today we are here with Alia Lanius. Alia is the founder and president of Unsugarcoated Media, a 501c3 media organization dedicated to helping survivors of trauma lead mentally healthier lives. Alia's focus is creating media and events that empower, educate, heal, and inspire another the way it has for her. Alia is a multiple award-winning American novelist, social entrepreneur, and advocate with over 20 years of sharing her personal experiences with audiences of all age groups and diverse backgrounds. Thank you so much for being here with us today. It has been so amazing to connect and to meet you through Clubhouse and then to be able to learn more about you and your phenomenal story. So you've really been such an inspiration to me as a female entrepreneur and I really appreciate you taking the time to sit with me here today and let me ask you some questions and pick your brain. You are amazing and beautiful and thank you so much. I love the kudos, but I mean, it's been amazing to connect with you and see the, the efforts you're doing and the impact that you're making, which is why I was like, of course I wanna come and help you guys and support. Like, why not? Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Oh, thank you so much. So there's so many things I want to ask you because your story is so amazing, but I wanted to start where your independence began and you included in a bio of yours that you were abandoned by your parents at 14 and were homeless. And I wanted to know what that moment was like when you realized that you were going to be on your own and what that transition was like into your adulthood. Um, thank you, Juliet. Well, it was scary, you know, uh, and how it occurred I had two parents that were divorced before I even knew that they were married as a child. I kind of grew up in, and my mother was never, I was never allowed to even see my father that often as a child. And when I hit those teenage years, 14 and started to rebelling, I very quickly became that. Unfortunately, that kid was like, I want to go to my dad, but my dad didn't know me. And with my dad, I was just this complicated teenager that he barely knew and didn't want much to do with. So as a result of kind of ping-ponging, they both just said, I mean, actually, literally, my dad abandoned me. He took me to school one day, never picked me up. And my younger brother, I have a, a younger brother who's one year younger than me. Uh, he told him the night before to, to just come back in three weeks and he would find somewhere for him to stay, even though he was living in a four-bedroom home in a beautiful part of a uh, suburb of San Diego. Um, he just didn't want to be responsible. And my brother was 13 years old and he had given him 50 cents and said, come back in a few weeks. My brother and I had found each other and we were put in a homeless shelter for teenagers at the moment until they could locate to get our story straight because we were telling them that we were being abandoned. And ultimately, it was very scary because I ended up bouncing from home to home. The sequence of events that were, came after that were very difficult. I ended up at one point sleeping in Kaiser ICU waiting rooms. I stole a pack of no-dos from a local convenience store and tried to kill myself. So when you ask what was I feeling, I was afraid. I felt, why wasn't I born into one of those families with the parents who got married and had a college education fund for me somewhere? And it's not that my family wasn't smart nor educated. Uh, it just so happens I had two parents that were very emotionally unintelligent. And <clears throat> 
and yeah, so I mean, it was it was an in, it, an independence that I thought I wanted as a fourteen year old kid, perhaps. But when I actually experienced it, of course, I didn't want to be on the streets, and I sought homes to fill in the gap of that family that I was looking for. Right, the acceptance, um, and that's kind of how it started. My, you know, and and I mean, sorry, trying to remember the second part of your question because that's kind of how it started, and then I can't remember the end of the question. What was it? <laughs> so sorry. No, it's fine. Just what was that transition like once you realized that now you're on your own and that reality hit? What was it like, you know, to transition into adulthood? Were you now feeling like I'm 14 going on 30 and I have to take care of myself? Or were you still kind of like a wandering kid looking for someone to take care of you? Yeah. For, for, for about, I mean, for the first six months I was, I mean, I always put in the work in fact. And then by the time I was 15, I was actually taken into a Christian girls Bible school. I was the youngest participant in the school. Everyone else was an adult, but because of my abilities and my ethics and just how hard I worked, they took me in. And so I found myself between 15 and 18 years old working full time for the for this for the organization. I I I was leveraged, if I could say that. And and to be quite honest, I survived my teenage years and arrived into adulthood with you know this slamming halt. Once I was out of the Bible school, then I had to fend for myself again. And of course, I struggled. You know, I struggled. I presumed that getting married or finding a family, finding that family I never had or creating the family I never had became my mission. Um, And so I ended up getting married very early, very young. And um, that marriage actually quickly fell apart. Not many people know this. I really mostly speak of my my previous marriage uh, and then the one that I'm in now. But that very first one was definitely a result of someone seeking family, seeking stability. But he was in the Air Force and he was gone all the time. So I had found anything but that. In fact, I found myself at 21 um, pregnant. We'd been trying to have a child. Uh, He went over to Germany. I found out I was pregnant. And then I found that he was cheating on me. And so I actually literally got divorced during my pregnancy, never saw him again, and raised my daughter you know, my oldest daughter for the most part on my own until I got remarried again. Um, But yeah, I mean, I would say that early adulthood, Juliet was just, it was moments where I, I was being developed and moments where I was definitely seeking something, but also moments where I kind of had to learn I'm on my own right now. I have to stand up for myself. I have to learn to stand up for myself. And once I became a single mother, now I had this even bigger purpose, right? It was no longer just about me. It was about the life that I was going to give this young child. Right. Wow. Well, so you get pregnant, you're married, right? You're married, you're young, you get pregnant, you're 21 years old. You found out that your significant other is cheating on you. A lot of people wouldn't have the strength to walk away from a situation like that, right? Because it's, it's the life that you know, and now you're going to bring a child into the world. So it is extremely overwhelming to do this on your own. I'm sure it was very daunting. So I give you a lot of credit for being able to say, I'm walking away from this. This is a situation, you know, I'm going to have my child and raise my child. You went to graduate college. And you graduated with honors, uh, obtaining a degree in international business, managerial leadership, and entrepreneurship, and then went on to attend Concord Law School. So what was it like going to school and earning your degree while also being a single mom? 
Well, actually, what's ironic about that part is that didn't happen until after I had already built a multi-million dollar business. Um, I didn't have the opportunity to go to college straight out of high school like I wanted to. I had to wait until my 30s. And at the time that I finally went back and actually finished my undergrad, Juliet, I was a mother of three. Wow. And then I was actually battling cancer. So that was even an, an additional layer. Um, and what it, and it was one of those things where I said, I always knew I could do this, but now I want to show the world I could have, that it was circumstances that prevented me. Uh, and, and to some degree, I'm very fortunate because, you know, I, I, I look back and I'm very happy to have that. But really where my knowledge comes from, by the time I went and got the degree, to be, I, I was actually getting credits for things I had already done because, you know, I was able to like submit, I think about 20, whatever the university's max of credits that they will give to you for already having completed and shown the ability to demonstrate those, those, the, that experience beyond a class, what a classroom can teach you, I got. So it was a very interesting thing for me to go back. But, um, you know, if anything, running a business by myself, like the very first business that I had and the, and the issues that I had as a young adult prior to being a single mom, no, if anything, being an entrepreneur was similar to going through school and having a child because I would be up at 3 a.m. working on, you know, my client's files or building my business while my child slept. And then, you know, then it was like this trade-off of always working but then being able to be there for her as a mom like that was important to me that's what that was one of the biggest things for me being an entrepreneur meant it meant that i didn't have a company making me feel bad because i will always want to be a mother first i didn't i didn't have emotionally intelligent parents right so my number one goal as a mom has always been to be the type of mom i wish i would have had and that meant being there that meant like being present as much as i could be and yet still build a business, right? So being a role model, like as a female, I feel like there's so many layers. It's not just about I'm building a business. It's about I'm being a role model as a mom to show that you can both do this and yet you can still be there emotionally and physically for your kids. Right, which is one of the most impressive parts because when we go through trauma as a child and we experience that divide between ourselves and the people that we want to love and care for us, it's hard to figure out how you develop your own emotional intelligence and where do you learn those skills and where do you learn to love and to nurture and to show up for your child. And so I give you so much credit for prioritizing those things alongside building this business. And you mentioned being in a business or starting a business is like being in school. And it is. And you know, I can relate to that in some capacity, but it's like you're teaching yourself everything, right? So you're working those crazy long hours, you're doing the research, you're putting together the papers, the proposals, but it's a matter of whether or not you're going to get food on the table. It's a matter of whether or not the money is going to come through and you can pay your bills. So it's not striving for an A or for credits. It's, you know, trying to sustain a lifestyle. Um, and I'd love to know what was that first business that you started and how did you come up with the idea for it? Well, my very first business was actually in music. I was an a executive and I first worked for an independent label in San Francisco, Elusive Records. And then I went on to actually just independently. So in, initially I was an entrepreneur and then, and then at 25 years old, and so that was in the music realm. But I did have this kind of professional, you know, I, I think like many people, I, I worked more than one job, right? Like there was never a time when I only did one thing. And so while music was great, it was also important that I always have that backup. So I worked in the medical field a little bit too. Like I worked in the accounting offices of medical uh, and billing. And 
So when I decided to leave music, because as wonderful as it was, Juliet, flying all over the country and hanging out and doing VIP tours was something my boyfriend at the time, my next husband was like, yeah, that's not really like, you know, it was kind of, it's a cultural thing. I had to find a nine to five and I'm just being transparent for some women, they go through this, some don't, but I definitely had to make that decision. And so I fell back on my corporate because as a woman, I was expected to find a corporate type of, you know, line of work and I opened up a medical billing company and a consulting practice. And that was the very first one where I really had employees. I had an office location and the responsibility level went up because as an entrepreneur, I'm just handling artists and contracts and I'm, you know, but it gets a lot bigger when you are now not just responsible for the food on your table, but the food on someone else's table. And so that's what it was going into the medical industry. That's why I can actually speak to a lot of quality. I was a former advisor for the California Medical Review Board. So I was heavily involved at that time. This was in the early, late 1990s, early 2000s. So I was definitely a part of the technology push for people to become in the physician world more accountable for their records and how do we make the quality and the continuity of care at its highest standards so that we are delivering the most efficient care. And so imagine that it's my job to go around to doctor's office and say what they're doing right and what they're doing wrong. Maybe wow. very popular, <laughs> but actually they liked me. I saved them money. I'm like, I would be the person to go into the office and say, yeah, that, that outdated copier that's broken down in your hallway it's going to get you sued by the wrong person if they hit it. Like, you know, looking for those liabilities. So it's interesting that you say, you know, if I really sit down and talk to you about, I would say that I fell naturally into that line of work because even what I went through as a young kid, Juliet, being on the street, looking out for dangers, constantly being aware is ironically enough, probably one of the reasons I was so good at that job. You know, it's the details. It's the details you have to pay attention to. So yeah, so that's kind of a little bit about that journey. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. And so I, I know that you do a lot of work to help empower people who have been survivors of trauma. Um, and that, you know, was part of the inspiration behind Unsugarcoated Media. So I'd love to know about your experience with trauma, if you'd be willing to share it. And I think that includes your diagnosis with cancer, right? You have been diagnosed with cancer um, and are, is, are you a three-time cancer survivor? I am survivor? a three-time cancer survivor. Yes, I am. Yeah, I have, yeah, one time that one particular cancer that I've dealt with twice and a secondary not related cancer. So two different types of cancer. Um, and before that, I, I, I do, I want to back up like with, with regards to the trauma. I, I'm very vulnerable about my, my childhood. Um, again, my mother was a selfish, kind of a selfish personality between the ages of four and seven, I was actually molested by five different men. I was again, sexually assaulted as a teenager. Some is a result of what had happened. One of the homes that I was in, uh, the male actually sexually assaulted me. And these traumas were further impacted when I tried to speak up and say something. And then I was told, no, you're lying. This person couldn't have done this to you. And my, the predator was, was protected instead of myself as a 14 year old girl. Um, <clears throat> that was a, tr those are traumas, you know, and, and for a long time, it took me so much to learn that I had done nothing wrong, you know, going through things like that. And just saying this candidly as a girl, you start to think, well, am I doing something? But what could I have been doing at four years old? Right? Like, what could I have done other than just want to be loved, want to be cared for as an individual? And that's not wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. And so uh, that led me to being a very protected person. And 
uh, but it also, a lot of the things that happen, I'll say this, when I got diagnosed with cancer, my, pers my perspective was like, of course, I've had so many of these horrible things happen to me in life. Why not? Let's, let's throw cancer on the Barbie, shall we? And, and it's only, it, it took that journey though, to realize, you know, the way that I look at life is it's not so much that it's happening to me. It's just happening. And, you know, events plus outcome equals response. So, you know, at that time, you know, and, and I will tell you when I first was diagnosed, my mentality was sure. Okay. This is just another thing I have to get through. Right. I didn't realize that it was going to be as long. I didn't realize, um, I mean, I was scared to death. My grandfather actually passed away in nine months from the very same cancer that I was diagnosed with secondary. So my mindset was, this is either going to go quickly and they'll resolve it or I'm going to die. Like, you know, I didn't, I didn't actually know that you can live with cancer for a long time. Um, medical advances and things that are happening now make it so, but the journey of appreciating myself and understanding that um, I'm a beautiful miracle, just, just standing here, I'm a beautiful miracle and, and so are you. And the, I went back a year later, the, 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 the oncologist, when she, um, when she diagnosed me, she gives me, she hands me a prescription for an antidepressant along with some other stuff. And I'm like, I've been through tough stuff. I don't need that. And Juliet, a year later, less than a year later, probably, but I know at least a year later, I was like, uh, can we have that back now? Can I get that? Because I recognized I didn't need to go through this alone. And I was kind of doing that thing of like, tough girl can get through it. But if I break my leg and walk around without crutches, I'm just being a fool. Um, and so my journey with cancer changed dramatically when I opened myself up to the people in the community, to the, the, the possibility that I didn't have to go through it alone. And that changed the course of my ability. And I went from really being beat down by the disease and not just so much the disease itself, but the mental impact of the exterior situation of my life. I was in a separation with my ex-husband or my husband at that time I was married, um, uh, I, we'd been in a 14 year, we'd been, we ended up being all together in a 14 year relationship. And I'll just say this, when I got the call that I was re going in 2013 in December, I got a call that I was once again, going to be battling cancer. Now at that moment in time, I stood in a very unhealthy, toxic relationship with a man who was both narcissistic, abusive physically and cheating on me. And Juliet, it really took, I was, I just was like, I didn't fight to be here to deal with all that. I did not, no, 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 no. Like in that moment, I'm like, no, I'm not going through this again without the support that I deserve, without the ability to focus on my mental health and peace. And so it just everything shifted. And that was 2013, and which is, you know, I wrote a book about that time period of my life. And it's a very inside look into the mental aspect of what it was going through that time. Yeah. And is that your book, Tough Love? Because I know that you've written two. Yes, yes, that is the first one. And that's a biographical fiction. And, and you know, look, at, like I said, it's in the head of coming to terms with, you know, I'd obviously gone through a lot with my parents when I was younger, right? And to this day, to be quite honest, I don't have a relationship with them that's incredibly close because I have to be careful. And, and I don't know how to explain where it's like, you do kind of come to this point of like, if I can cut my parents off, I can almost cut anyone off, right? Because those were the people that I, well, first of all, they were supposed to love me no matter what. And they proved not to, they didn't prove to be some of those parents and that's okay. 
But now the person that I'm living with and that I'm married to, am I going to allow that same type of behavior and that toxicity to rule my life? And I ultimately came to the decision that no, again, I didn't fight and go through everything, the homelessness, you know, the, the, the cancer, the being alone. I, I didn't go through all of that to arrive here and not feel supported by the people around me and, and allow myself to be in a toxic environment. Right. I've been thinking about this concept lately of unconditional love. And I was, I was in a discussion the other day where someone said, at what point in your life have you felt unconditional love? And everybody was going back and really trying to think hard about times that they truly felt unconditional love. And, you know, the two groups that people were falling into was like, one was like pets and animals, like, you know, you get unconditional love. And the other is your family, whether it be your parents or, and your immediate family born into family or your chosen family being, you know, the significant other, the person that you choose to build a life with. And every person on this earth is deserving of unconditional love in some capacity and in more capacities than one. And when you deal with so much toxicity and you deal with so much violence and and neglect, I think you go into fight or flight mode and you're kind of like, well, I don't need anybody. I don't need anybody. I can do this by myself. And it's like, you showed how much you could do by yourself. You showed that you could you know, start a multi-million dollar business and you could raise your children and you could grow as this entrepreneur and this inspiration and write books and go to college. But that doesn't mean that you don't deserve unconditional love. And, and, you know, I'm sure that you found that through your children and through your current husband and friends and family, but it's, it's important that you talk about the fact that when we're going through a hard time and we need that support, if we can't find that unconditional love from the people that are supposed to be giving it to us, then it's time to walk away. And I also wanted to address something important that you mentioned, which was the concept of going on antidepressants while you were battling cancer. And you said, you know, if I broke my leg and walked around without crutches, then I'm just a fool. And we draw that parallel a lot you know, at my company, Mental Health Global Network, we talk about prioritizing mental health on the same level as physical health. And that has to do with, you know, if you were to, you know, experience a diagnosis like you did, you get diagnosed with cancer and you go through the treatment for it because that's how you're going to get better. And because we never learned about mental health and ways to prioritize it and then the severity of it, the impact that it has on our life, we just assume that it's something that we are required to or should be able to overcome without any assistance and it's just really important that you brought up that point and like it's okay to take the assistance because that's what's happening to your body right now our brain is the main console of our body so to not protect our brain and treat our brain the way that it deserves um, is just doing ourselves such a disservice Agreed. And to your earlier point first, I mean, when others are not giving you unconditional love, you do have the choice to give it to yourself. I mean, the person who really can give you the most unconditional love is yourself first. And, you know, I think that a lot of people, so that's what I was speaking about earlier. So when I entered my journey with cancer, let's paint my brain as a wimp, you know, I mean, I was strong. Okay. But strong because I'd made it so far, but I was still pretty wimpy. And 
it's taken effort and, and learning. Now, I didn't just come up with these ideas on my own. I can give credit from going and seeking the knowledge. What is going to make me better? What is the gym I need to attend in order to make this brain from wimpy Alia into strong, powerful, you know, Goliath Alia in the good way. And I'm so thankful for that journey because that was the person on that December phone call that showed up to say, no, 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 no. We're not doing this like this. And, and then, you know, and I don't know if you know this, but like even on, on Clubhouse, you know, my, the vice president of Unsugarcoated Media Now, she was one of the people that in, in that, at that time, this is like 2009, 2010, I just simply put into Facebook, you know, young adult cancer support group. And this group popped up and she was one of those initial people. And she literally told me, you better fight for your life and you better fight for those kids. It was so cute because, you know, you think people are always so sympathetic and walk on eggshells when it comes to the cancer community, but not another cancer fighter, not somebody who's lost the ability to have children because of cancer. And then I'm going to sit there in a bed and do the whole poor me, poor, you know, oh, my situation. And while it's okay, it's okay to be sad. It's okay. Going back to the event plus or excuse me, event plus reaction equals outcome. If I fall into the bottom of a well, it's okay for me to be upset that I'm there. It's okay for me to cry a little bit because goodness gracious, how the heck am I going to get out of here? But there comes a point when you stand up and you start looking for a way, you become reactive, not just, you know, sitting in there and how I've learned to really navigate all the challenges in life is understanding that exact. And I have to give credit where credit is due because I've known it, but my friend on Vash, who you have to, she's just amazing, you know, really puts that in that simple event plus um, response equals outcome. And when I look back at my life, it does boil down to how we respond to things, right? And even getting angry too quickly, becoming too emotionally quickly, it is that emotional intelligence that we develop, that stronger mind capacity that starts to say, well, hold on, Alia, why are you acting like that? Why are you feeling this way? What do you want to be your outcome, right? Because um, even to speaking to people who can be in emotional, repetitively in abusive or emotional relationships, you know, what is it that you are allowing to happen and why are you, or, or, or excuse me, actually, I'm saying like, if you get out of a negative situation and you're finally into a positive one, but yet you kind of go back to your old behavior, you have to sit down with yourself and say, what is it that you want? You know, do you want to get a divorce again? Or what is it, is the issue with you? Is it with them? Is it a lack of communication? Just really learning to start to evaluate things around you and, and build that mind. I feel like people just miss the opportunity to create our brain is so powerful Juliet we're told it but we far from really tap into the potential that we have and with regards to mental health it makes or breaks and I'll just I'll, I'll say this my doctor used to always say stress is real stress affects our bodies in ways and while we all deal with it I don't know how many times a doctor has asked you are you experiencing any stress in your life and you're like well I'm alive right so I mean keep the stress levels down though I mean but ultimately what they mean is put yourself in a situation where hopefully it is optimal and where you're operating in a better mindset because stress absolutely is one of those things he would say you're opening the window and saying hey cancer come on back in and you know 
I think that that is what happened. Now I've, I've not, I've since, uh, so that was, uh, December of 2013 in May of 2014, I had my last procedure and I have been NED, no evidence of disease since then. And I'm thankful to say that that's the case now, but every day, Juliet, I keep them. I keep an eye mostly on my mental focus more than anything. And, and that's how I move forward daily and keep doing all that I'm doing. And now, yes, I'm in the media world, taking everything that I've learned, all those social impact messages. And I'm saying, how can we impact the world with goodness? How can we make someone both entertain, but also educate and end isolation for people who often feel very alone and marginalized that those are the people that I want to touch and humanize. And so, you know, that it's a, it's an incredible journey. And I think if it wasn't for my own awareness, I wouldn't be much good uh, to anyone if I don't actually practice what I preach. Yeah. Well, congratulations for being NED and congratulations for overcoming this, this battle thus far and for being so resilient. It's just, it's so, it's so inspiring. I love hearing you talk because I'm just like, yes, yes, that makes so much sense. That makes so much sense. That's so helpful. That's so applicable. So, I mean, it's just been amazing hearing your story and I wanted to ask you today, you know, what are you working on right now that you're the most excited about after taking all of this pain and all of these hurdles and turning them into purpose? What is your now that gets you out of bed every day and, and makes you excited? Well, actually, it's the opportunity to really mentor others. Uh, at Unsugarcoated Media, we have about 16 interns through the USC uh, college. Now you have to understand a lot of these students, they're not able to attend the school these last two you know, years now, well, since 2020, obviously have been impaired. Some of them are on scholarships, some of them are paying and they cannot have their experience. They can't go get the regular jobs. Because of what we're doing with Unsugarcoated Media, more than anything, they inspire me and I get to mentor them with the core message that you're learning to be creatives, whether you go on to New York Times, Vogue, or Netflix, at your core, you have learned how to make socially conscious content. And it's really cool because I get to teach them like how to interview people and how to uh, write articles that impact. You know, I've had, I've had some of my staff writers write something. It's good. I come back. I'm like, no, no, no. Where's the passion? Where, where's this, you know, and then they come back and I'm like, that's it. I got you. Those are the things that make me exciting, excited, helping other people find their potential, you know, and then make that impact because I am, I, you know, I think that word influencer is thrown around a lot in the world. And what makes me excited is more like on the down low of really truly influencing the world to be better. What are we influencing the world to do? And through the people that I mentor and the projects that we create at Unsugarcoated Media, we are, I am excited uh, to, I, I, I say we a lot because I want to always give credit. I couldn't do it alone. It's not Alia show. In fact, I always tell people there's a reason there's no alialanius.com. I'm building a legacy with unsugarcoated media that will far surpass me. And, and that's what excites me, just building that and having um, the opportunity to impact other young individuals. And, and, and I love it. Like they, they made a video recently and it just made me cry. I bawled. I had to like show it through several meetings every single time, Juliet. I'm like bawling. I'm like, I love you guys. You guys don't know. You guys are the reasons I get out of bed every day and work so hard. And, you know, but it's just knowing that I, that, that that's the impact I'm creating makes all the world, to me, all the difference to me. I love that. I love that so much. And I think it sounds so cliche and it's, it's been said over and over again, but when you're truly passionate about what you do and that passion is projected into the world of helping others elevate themselves, you just have so much more of a reason to, I, I don't know, to keep going. Like I always feel 
that in the positions that I've been in where I'm trying to elevate my own brand, I don't feel fulfilled and I feel tired and I feel burnt out. And I'm, you know, trying to grow more of a following as a person in the mental health space. Or if, you know, back when I was working in the fashion industry, I was trying to help make a name for myself and work on my personal brand. And then when I have conversations with people about what's going on with their mental health and what are they struggling with the most and how can we educate people so that they understand what tools they need to move forward and, and what they can utilize to find a purpose for themselves, that's when I feel like I could do this 24 seven. I, I, you know, I, I should sleep, but I could go and just, and just never sleep and just work nonstop as long as I just feel like I'm doing something productive and purposeful. So I'm sure you feel the same way. It sounds like you do. And it's just always really inspiring to connect with people who are also, you know, working to help others and to see like, look how far you've made it. And to me, you're such an inspiration. You know, I look up to you and see all you've done and all you've accomplished, but it's like, you've done that in a way that's helped others and helped elevate other people and their personal accomplishments. And so it shows that it pays off and it, it does, it does keep you going. It does. It does. And, and I'll say this to the burnout comment, because it's very true. We, you know, society tells us you have to do this and you have to do that way. You know, look, I'm 45 years old. I'm, you know, to some people I'm starting late in the game as far as like trying to build a platform because before I was just building businesses and, you know, I'm from the eighties. So we weren't like, you know, IG centric, <laughs> saw the value of it if that's what I needed to do, but I didn't. My work required people to come into my store and buy products and things like that. So now that I'm in the media space, and I, I will add this last thing to my husband, uh, it kind of also just fell in. I fell into it kind of like I had fallen into music as well when I was younger, but my husband, my current husband, Joseph Lanius, he's a film executive producer. He's done incredible projects. He has a movie coming out with Tiffany Haddish, Oscar Isaac, little shout out to him. Um, but our favorite movie that we've done, no, no, no. I mean, like, that's the thing. What he, He's doing all these cool projects for sure, right? But I'm very proud of what we're doing. And, and I'll relate that to the burnout comment in a minute, but you know, like he, he, the best move that movie that we love, the most, most favorite one is technically the one with, Keanu Reeves and Lily Collins to the bone on Netflix because it actually speaks to eating disorders. There is a social impact message there and it's a beautiful one. And it was a very, you know, for some people that's an odd film for Keanu Reeves to be in, but we are passionate um, about putting films out there that speak to issues in ways. And, and I think that when it comes to the burnout, there's so much the society is telling us you should be doing. You need to give yourself permission. Anyone needs to give themselves, it should give themselves permission to take it at your pace. Everything can be gotten to. And I mean, I say that with even like Clubhouse right now, and a lot of people are like, okay, I've got to stake my claim. And well, that's true. Do that. You know, some people put a lot more stress. I've got to do something every day. I've got to do this. And uh, while well, consistency is the key and all of that, burning yourself out is not the answer because especially if you're the leader of anything, if you are not at your best, or at least your optimal, you know, your, your higher echelon of, of optimal uh, levels, you're no good to anyone, you know, and we put so much pressure on ourselves. You know, I put deadlines on my, on to myself, but people come and say, who's giving you your deadlines? Well, I'm the leader. I'm the president. I'm giving myself the deadlines. But when I do miss, if I happen to miss one, that's a personal deadline, I'm not beating myself up over it because I'm doing all of these other fantastic things. And I know that it will come. 
it's like, you know, just don't feel, and I say this, especially to 20 something and 30 something. Cause when I was 20, I thought 45 was old. I'm 45 now, honey, and I'm just getting started. So we have so much life to live, enjoy it, you know, embrace it. And again, make sure that this part between your ears is really taken care of because that is the one that holds the most power. I used to visualize my healthy cancer cells beating the heck out of the, the healthy cells beating up cancer cells. And some people say, well, did it work? And I say, I don't know, I'm still here. <laughs> and cancer, just to add, you know, I know you didn't mention this, but cancer also left me with two autoimmune diseases. I recently was diagnosed with fibromyalgia and I have a heart condition called uh, POTS or an anatomical condition called POTS that affects the, the, my heart rate. So yeah, fun. But again, if this isn't right, then all of those other functions are even more out of whack and make my life even more complicated. So, you know, yeah. that's, that's what I wanted to say to that. Thank you for saying that. And pressure, the pressure is so exhausting. I feel as a young female entrepreneur that I have so much to prove. And I'm like, I have to prove this as a woman and I have to prove this as someone who's, you know, under the age of 30. And I have to make sure that I accomplish all these things by a certain amount of time. And I see other people accomplishing things and I'm like, oh my God, I'm behind. I'm so behind and it's exhausting. And even, you know, with Clubhouse, when it first started, I was like, wow, this is this amazing tool. Like I get to have conversations with really cool people that I can connect with offline, who I can listen to and learn from, who I can have authentic conversations with. And then all of a sudden I was like, well, this person just said that they spent like 17 hours a day on Clubhouse and this person, you know, already has X amount of followers, how'd they get there? And, and people are saying, elevate your brand, elevate your brand. And I had to take a step away from it. And it's like, I'll go on, you know, maybe once a day, if, if there's an event that I like to do, there's a gratitude room that I like to do that's hosted every, you know, night at nine um, by my friend Kara Zimmerman and the Gratitude Club. And, you know, my friend Jonathan Bias hopes it holds a turn pain into purpose. And that those conversations I like to be a part of because I still do meet amazing people, resilient people, people with you know, business experience and amazing stories of resilience and whatever that might be. But I'm not, you know, putting this label on myself of like, where am I, you know, when do I reach this goal? And when do I get this many followers? And if I'm not on the app, then I, I'm missing out on opportunities. I'm like, I have to focus on my life that's in front of me. And that's the only way that I'm going to get to where I need to be. So it's, it's hard to navigate especially with social media and different platforms, like where can you use it to benefit you in your life and to improve your mental health and to collaborate with others, which Clubhouse has been this amazing tool for. And, you know, when do I say, okay, I need a break from it right now. And it's okay to step away. So that's been really important for me to learn. And I met you on Clubhouse. So it's like, it's doing something special, right? It's been amazing, but the boundaries, they, they're important. Absolutely. And, you know, like you said to that, I, the, the, the reality is who's setting those standards. You often don't know. I never go off of what I see because I don't know what's happening in the back end. I remember there was a time when I knew some people that were part of an MLM uh, and MLMs can be great for a person who actually knows how to go out there and hustle. And, and there's a legitimacy to certain MLM organizations. But one particular one, I remember there was a, there was things that could happen that would make someone look like they elevated faster than they did, you know? So someone else could come along and say, you're a great team member. I'm going to put a hundred people underneath you. 
and this is going to elevate you but they didn't tell people and i didn't like it because what would happen is ultimately like you said that mental health impact on others is well wait i'm i'm doing everything that they're telling me to and i'm not getting that i'm not getting the lexus i'm not getting the 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 twenty thousand dollar bonus what's wrong with me and i felt that that was a horrible way you know to to think and i would get frustrated because i'm like you're you're not understanding there are things happening and so like you said to that don't don't set your standards according to what you think just set them to what you can do and what makes you feel good and i agree i mean clubhouse is a great tool but you want to be careful not to become the product or you know you you want to you want to use it for what it is a tool and then you know, do the other things like you are outside of it. So I love it. But I like anything like social media, it, it does have ways of bringing you together with people you would have never known otherwise. And for that fact, I love it. And I can appreciate it. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Well, I want to be conscious of your time. You have been so amazing here today, telling your story, sharing your experiences. And I know I'm going to listen back to this and, and be taking notes because You've just shared so much that has been really useful for me and I'm sure it'll be really useful for a lot of other people. So thank you so much for being here again today. Well, thank you. And for anyone actually just to kind of follow in what you said, I do know on, on Instagram, our unsugarcoated media page, we do focus, we have mental health Mondays. It's cool. Our, our interns get into creating campaigns or themes around how do we pick someone up? How do we make them feel good? How do we move from the, you know, from one mindset to another? So anyone who wants to just simply support us, give us a follow so that you can benefit from some of the things that we're trying to positively put out there. Oh, absolutely. It sounds amazing. And I really encourage our listeners to go check it out. And you have two books. So where can our listeners find your books? Our books, my books are on Amazon. They're at any major retailer online or, you know, like Barnes and Nobles, Amazon. Uh, if people go to my website, they can purchase a signed copy, but it is available everywhere. And, you know, I just say, go to, go to our website and you can find everything. www.unsugarcoatedmedia.com. Oh, fantastic. Thank you so much, Alia. It was wonderful. And this is Brains Out Loud. And thank you for everybody who's been listening today.